Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we're looking at the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, in verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to read the first two verses of chapter 15. Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And I want to kind of camp out on that for a few minutes and look at that. First of all, Paul says, I declare to you the gospel, the gospel. Let me ask you this. What do you think when you hear the gospel? Do you hear, a, does, a, does your mind all of a sudden conjure up a, a, a genre of music, gospel music? Or do you think of, hey, I'm thinking of a book of the Bible. There's four of them, four of the gospels in the Bible. Or maybe you think about old time religion, gospel preachers, you know, like Billy Graham or someone or Billy Sunday or somebody like that. You're thinking about that. What is the gospel? And so we all maybe have this picture in our mind. Well, the word gospel itself is euang, uh, boy, okay, euangelion, uh, yeah, euangelion, which means good news. Uh, and so whenever you read gospel in the Bible, you could just substitute that with good news. And my first point, and there's three points I want to make this morning. My first point is that the reality of the resurrection, it really is good news. It really is good news for us. You know, so I asked you, what did you think about the gospel? Or what do you think of when you hear the word the gospel? You know, we might have different thoughts about it. We could describe it maybe different ways. But uh, the Bible is really uh, gives us a lot of different verses that describe the, the good news, the gospel to us in the New Testament. And I want to take a look at some of those. Beginning with Romans 1 verse 1. You don't need to turn there, but you can, if you're taking notes, or you certainly can turn there if you want, but I'm going to be kind of going through it, so you might not get to them fast enough. But Romans 1 1. Paul describes the gospel there. It's the good news of God. Why would he call it the good news of God? Well, think about John 3.16, right? God is love. God did not just send a son. You remember when, when uh, uh, Samuel was appointed by God to, to go to Jesse's house to, uh, to uh, anoint one of Jesse's sons as being the, the first king, or excuse me, the second king of Israel. And so, uh, you know, Jesse's basically parading from his oldest son down to all of his sons. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, Samuel's like, well, maybe that's, the, maybe that's the, the king. And the Lord said, no, that's not him. And finally, they get all the way down through the list of sons. And Samuel's like, well, do you have any other son? And, and remember Jesse? Oh, yeah, we got, we got that little runt, David, out in the field, the shepherd boy. And so Samuel said, hey, bring him here. And, of course, that's who God had chosen to be the king of Israel. But Jesse had a bunch of sons. And uh, he just, you know, they ended up with the runt of the litter, right, David? But listen, God sent his only son, his only begotten son, 
What kind of a love would that be? Sometimes people look at the God of the Old Testament and they say, you know, God of the Old Testament, it's all fire and judgment and bloodshed and everything, and Jesus is the God of love. Well, God the Father is a God of love because God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. So the good news of God, the love of God. In Acts 20, verse 24, the Bible describes the gospel as the good news of the grace of God. The grace of God. You know what grace is? It's unmerited favor, unearned favor. You and I, we, we can't earn our salvation. We can't, we can't be righteous enough on our own to earn salvation. It's, it's given to us by God freely. The grace of God, unmerited favor. I don't know about you, but that's your relief for me. You know, instead of having to work my salvation and, and, and earn God's love. No, God already loves me. In Ephesians 6.14, Paul describes the gospel. He says the gospel or the good news of peace. The good news of peace. You know, we're no longer at enmity with God. Well, wait a minute. I thought God is a God of love. Yeah, but God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. And the Bible says before Christ, you and I were enemies of the cross because of our unrighteousness. And so the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, it has made peace between us and a holy God. So the gospel, it's, it's peace for us. The gospel of peace, the good news of peace. Paul described it also in Ephesians 1 verse 13, the good news of your salvation. See, we're saved <clears throat> from our sin. We're saved from eternal death. I don't know about you. Does that excite you this morning? That you don't have to go to hell? Sometimes we have a bad day, a bad hair day. I don't know. You know, maybe it's like whatever. You know, and they're like, oh, I can't believe this day. You know, um, believe me, I have those days every day, actually. But, uh, you know, uh, those bad days you have. And, you know, temper that attitude or that feeling that you have with, you know what? You've got heaven ahead of you. You have an eternity with Jesus Christ ahead of you because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully that, that kind of tempers our attitude about, oh, I'm kind of bummed out about what I'm going through today or, or what my life is, my lot in life. You know, I'm really struggling. Man, there's good news. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, verse 23. The, the gospel is called the good news of the kingdom. That should conjure up something else in your mind. You know, this world, you know, you look at the things that are going on in this world. You, you can't even barely, you can talk politics with people because people get really upset. It's no longer, well, you just believe differently. Now it's like you're a hater because you don't agree with me and whatever it is I believe. And so this world's getting uglier and uglier and it's getting weirder and weirder. And yet, think about it. This world is not our home. We have an eternal home in heaven. As, as bad as it's getting, this is not our home. The Bible says we're in this world system, but we're not of this world system. We're just passing through. And that raises another thought, too. Sometimes we feel really lonely. Loneliness is a terrible thing. I don't know if you've... Loneliness is what drove me to get married. I was lonely. I wanted, I wanted a companionship. And then the Lord brought Teresa into my, into my life and eventually she became my wife. But that loneliness was, it's not fun being lonely. 
And some of you might be lonely here this morning, you're like you're in a crowd, but you know, have you, you know what I'm talking about. You can be in a crowd of hundreds of people and yet you feel lonely. Well, you're not lonely here. Hopefully you don't feel lonely here because you're in a family, the family of God. We're here for one another. That's why we want to pray and encourage one another. You know, that's why we have that fellowship time between uh, the beginning of the service. We encourage you to go back and have fellowship. It's not just so that we can talk weather. It's so that we can encourage one another, pray for one another, uh, be there for one another. I'm blessed when I hear that some of you get together and minister to one another and help out one another and stuff. That's a cool thing because that's really what the body of Christ should be doing. So you're part of a family. So the good news is we're part of a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. In Revelation 14, verse 6, and I really appreciate this, the Bible calls it the everlasting good news. The everlasting gospel, the everlasting good news. Peter says this in his letter in 1 Peter 1, verse 4. He describes it as an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So when we went down to this conference, you know, I found out about the conference, and I've, Teresa and I have been to a couple of them now, and we're like, man, we are going to go. This is our priority. So when that announcement, when I get the email, there's a man, I, I got on the horn there, and I booked. They, they had several rooms, and we've stayed at this one hotel before, and we're like, we'll just pick that one. So I called them, and I made a reservation. So my name's in there. They got my name. Uh, they had a block of, of Calvary Chapel room, or rooms that was a discounted for, the, for if you're going to the conference. You gave them that name, and then they gave you a discount on the room. Man, I'm, I'm like, I am set. So it doesn't matter, you know, getting down there, hey, I've got a room waiting for me. Dan, on the other hand, Dan and Tracy, they decided at the last moment. And so they called the hotel. And uh, they got a reservation. There was apparently there were some rooms available, uh, but he had some kind of a mix-up, I guess, on the telephone or whatever. And he like he didn't get his confirmation email. So we're, on the way down, we're talking about it, and I'm thinking, ah, I got my reservation. He's like, I don't. I wonder if they even got my reservation. So we get down there, and Dan's the first guy. He says, Yeah, Dan Reese. Oh yeah, you know, like they gave him his room. Then they said, How about you? And I said, Well, Don Reipstra. He said, Did you re register under another name? I'm like no. Uh, I said, maybe Calvary Chapel? They looked it up. No, no. I don't know how many times she was calling different, because I guess there's like four of these different hotels. Hey, do you have a Don Reipster in there? Calling and calling. And, and, then, and then they said, well, do you have a confirmation? Praise the Lord. I had one in my email, but of course, I, I don't, <laughs> I've got like 12,000 emails on Google. So I'm like scrolling, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm into August now, and I'm going through. Finally, I found it, and I show it to her, confirmation number, everything. She's like, well, that's weird. You're not in the system. Well, anyways, I ended up getting, they had two rooms left. She said, if you had came later, we would have been in trouble. Not me, but they would have been in trouble because they had referred, confirmed a room, and now they don't have a room. So who knows what they would have done. But my point is, isn't it good to know that you have a reservation? <laughs> it's comforting. You don't have to rush. You don't have to stress. I've got a reservation. Can you imagine the day that you pass away or the day that the Lord returns for his church? And you come up there, you're like, what's your name? Oh, Chuck. Chuck. We don't have a we don't have a Chuck. Hey Peter, is there a Chuck? Check the rolls. I don't did you register under another name? That, that's not gonna happen for you and I. That's good news. I hope it's good news for you. It's good news for me. Man, I can just I can just serve the Lord. You know, things go on in my life. Yeah, we all struggle, we all have difficulties, but guess what? Man, we have a home 
in heaven reserved for us. That's a comforting thing. So that is good news. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul calls the gospel the good news of the glory of Christ. The good news of the glory of Christ. I looked that up. When you think of the glory of Christ, it actually means the image of God. So Jesus Christ is the image of God. That should be good news too because you and I are not following a counterfeit. We're not following a flaky Messiah. He's not an evil, manipulative, destructive Messiah. He is the express image of God. He's the real deal. That's, that's good news. We're not following some flaky guy that's going to flake out on us sometime. We're following Jesus Christ who is the express image of God. Remember Thomas, I think, no, it wasn't Thomas. One of the other disciples said, said um, hey, Lord, maybe it was, was it Andrew? I, anyways, said, hey, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, well, it was Philip, was it? Well, anyways, whoever it was. I'm looking at these guys. Who is it? Help me out here. You guys knew what I'm talking about. Somebody said something? No. no. Okay. Yes, Lord, I hear you. <laughs> Keep moving. Okay. <laughs> uh, where am I at? Oh, and Jesus said, hey, have you been with me? Haven't you been with me long enough? I mean, if you, whoever sees me, they see the Father. I am the Father. I am the Father of one. So that's good news, that Jesus Christ is the glory of Christ. is the image of God. In Mark 1, verse 1, and that kind of sums up the whole thing, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel isn't a thing. It's not an event. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. Uh, we were talking about some of the worship down at the conference, and there was one song that was all about the cross, the cross, the cross. And yeah, I mean, the cross. We got the cross here. We, we, you know, but we don't worship the cross. The cross just represents what Jesus Christ did for us. The gospel's a person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He died for your and my sins. And he rose from the dead. And I like what Paul says, Romans 4.25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification or our righteousness. That's the gospel, and that's good news. And so Paul here, he says to the Corinthians, I declare to you the gospel. Well, that's sure, that's pregnant with meaning, isn't it, as we examine that scripture. Once Paul says, uh, I declare to you the gospel, excuse me, which I preached to you. Now, if you remember chronologically, Paul, when he came to Corinth, he had just left Athens, Greece. And in Athens, he had gone to the Areopagus on Mars Hill. And that was a place where people met to talk about new things and philosophies and everything because the Greeks in Athens, they were really into that. And so Paul came with this new thing. So they wanted to hear about it. And so Paul had a platform to speak. And as he was speaking, he started trying to relate to the culture and he was talking about their poets and all this stuff. And, and at the end of that, it says that some, when he got to the point of the resurrection, so some of the people mocked. Others... They said, hey, we'll, we'll listen to you again. We want to hear more about this. And then it says some joined or some believed. And so there was a little bit of a fruit from it, but Paul never started a church there. From that point, that's when he went to Ath or excuse me, that's when he went to Corinth to preach the gospel to the Corinthians. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. 
And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I mean, that's the gospel. That's the core of the gospel. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words and human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when Paul came to, the, to Corinth, he's like, man, I'm just going to preach the cross. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's the core of the gospel. And so he says, the gospel, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received. They received the gospel. What does that mean? Paul says it, describes it here when he was talking to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. So there's a receiving. You've got to hear the gospel, receiving it, and then believing it. That's what the gospel is. That's how you and I are saved, by putting our faith, by believing that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead. That's, that's, the, that's salvation in a nutshell. So he says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. And you think of standing. In other words, the gospel of Christ, it's the bedrock foundation of our faith. And the resurrection is a key part of that. You know, without the resurrection, like I said when I was praying, you know, we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the resur resurrection. We stand on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he says, by which also you are saved. The faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross Contrary to what people might think today, it's not one of many paths to God. You'll hear that. I'm sure you've heard that before. Well, it's good for you. You know, Jesus believing in Jesus is good for you, but there's many ways to God. Listen, what kind of a loving father would allow his son to experience a horrendous crucifixion, to be crucified mercilessly at the hands of of sinners if he was just one of other paths. If people could get to heaven by just, yeah, hey, you know, just follow Buddha. You know, believe, believe in, in what, you know, Buddha teaches or, or any other religion. You could substitute anything. What kind of a loving God would say, well, this is just one of many ways. Remember Jesus said, if, there's, if it be possible, if, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he heard silence at that point because there was no other way. Jesus Christ, you know, when he said in the gospel, he says, I am, he didn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. It's one of many. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so he says to you, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Wait a minute. How can a person believe the gospel in vain? Well, he says it right there. Unless you hold fast. We have to hold fast to the gospel, to our faith in Jesus Christ. 
There is no other gospel. There's just one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed, and, and some of the seed fell on rocky ground, uh, and, and, and it says Jesus was describing it. It, it, it. You know, the sun came out. It looked really good, and then the sun came out, and it just withered away. And he said, and he gave the, the interpretation, the explanation of that, and he, and he said those, are those people, when they hear the word, they receive it. So you can, you can hear the gospel. You can receive it with joy. They're excited about it, but they have no root. And after a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. So you could, you, could, you could be all excited about Jesus Christ and the Word and the Gospel, but you know what? You need to dig in. You need to build that foundation. And the Bible talks about abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word. James also talked, we were just wrapping up the, the letter of James on Wednesday nights. He talks about people having a dead faith where there's no works. Not that we earn works for salvation, but one of the one of the guys at the conference was talking about the you know as you become Christians there should be a you should see a transformation in a person's life. The gospel should do something to people. We don't it doesn't we don't do it to earn our salvation, but there should be a change that takes place. And so, do we believe in vain? Are we are we are we abiding in Christ? Are we are we growing that foundation, getting firm in that foundation? Or are we just giving lip service? The second point that I want to bring up today, and that starts in verses 3, is that the reality of the resurrection was revealed through types, pictures, and prophecies in the Old Testament. And so Paul says this, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul says here, first, uh, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. I think that's kind of significant. Paul's not sharing just something that's, you know, it's just a, a, a teaching or something. Paul received it himself. When did Paul receive this insight? You know who Paul was, right? He was Saul of Tarsus. He describes himself in the Bible as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, we know from history, a student of Gamaliel. And according to Gamaliel, he was a voracious reader of books, very educated, very learned, and of Old Testament scriptures. This guy knew the Old Testament. He knew scriptures. And of course, you know the story. He was going on his way to Damascus, Syria, to persecute the Christians. Members, they didn't call them Christians then, they called them people of the way. But he was going to, to persecute people, followers of Christ, and the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and completely transformed the apostle, or the Saul, the persecutor, to Paul, the apostle. Well, Paul talks about that time in Acts chapter 9. Actually, it's, it's the, the record of Paul's uh, uh, salvation, conversion experience. Let me, let me listen. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 9, verse 19. So when he would receive food, so Paul lost his sight. He, he went to Damascus. Um, he says, so when he would receive food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. What's interesting, it says, then all who heard were amazed and said, is not 
Is this not he who destroyed those who call on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that we might bring him bound to the chief priests? It's interesting about that. Paul is, you know, totally transformation. Now he's a follower of Christ. And he preaches in the synagogues that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And people, it says, are amazed. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. Isn't he Saul the persecutor? But it doesn't say that they were converted. It's just they were amazed at him. Well, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul, I think, is a little shed, sheds a little light on what happened, I think, at, right after that event. Verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. By the way, that's not Saudi Arabia. That's uh, the desert beyond Damascus. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. He spent three years out in a desert. And it may have been, we don't know exactly, but it may have been after he started preaching there and people, you know, they were amazed, but nobody was converted. What did he, Paul, why did Paul go to this, the, the, the desert? Well, think about it. There's this guy, he's got all this wealth of knowledge and training in Judaism and, and, and now, I mean, the Lord has completely rocked his world. And I can imagine he just went off into the desert to start studying the scriptures. Man, I, I, gotta, I gotta, you know, and as he's going, starting in Genesis and working his way through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's just showing him, pointing him, hey, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. Training him, preparing him. And we know that his ministry after that, he started so many churches. Why am I bringing that up? Paul says, for I declared to you, first of all, that which I also received. My point is, even this morning, you can sit here and listen to me, you know, rattling off scripture and talking about that stuff. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. But listen, it's much, much better if you yourself go home today or this week or whatever, and you start reading the scriptures and go, man, I want, I want to learn more about that. I want to study. I want you to teach me, Lord. So much better if you do that. So that you too can say to somebody when you go out on the street, hey, I want to deliver to you what I also received. Let me show you something. So Paul says, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I can imagine Saul there in, in, the, in the desert going through Old Testament scriptures just him and the Lord sitting there and, and the Lord's directing him to maybe Psalm 22. You ever read Psalm 22? What an amazing messianic psalm. It's, a, it's prophetic. It's a vivid description of Christ suffering on the cross. I mean, you can, you can take the gospel account of his crucifixion and you can take Psalm 22 and you can pretty much like lay the verses side by side as you're reading about what happened to Christ on the cross. Amazing. Imagine that just what Paul was reading and, and just absorbing. Or maybe he also went to Psalm 69, another, another prophetic, messianic uh, psalm that talks about Christ's suffering on the cross. 
Maybe from there he went to Isaiah, chapter 50, 52, 53. You know, it's funny, chapter 53, it's like, how can a Jewish person read Isaiah 53 and not believe that Jesus is the Christ? And yet, they, they work their way around it. So Jesus Christ was crucified according to the scriptures. And so you can go back into the Old Testament and read all those different places that point to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, prophesy the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then he says in that he was buried. Isaiah 53 verse 9, for example, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich man at his death. He was crucified next to two criminals but he was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. He was a very wealthy man. Or the picture of Jonah. Jesus himself said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the Bible is speaking all about that. Jonah, the picture of Jonah, it's a story of a prophet that didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because of the Assyrians, or the Ninevites, I should say. You know, he hated them. And yet, we see how God worked in his life. But Jesus says, hey, that whole story, it's a picture of me and my burial. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I can imagine Paul, you know, going back to Genesis and reading about Abraham Remember how Abraham was called by, you know, here Abraham had his, had his one and only son of the faith, I guess, Isaac. And Jesus said, take your, your son, your only begotten son, and go and crucify him. Or not crucify him, sacrifice him to me. And Abraham in obedience sets out for Mount Moriah, though he didn't know he was going to Mount Moriah. And for three days, in his mind, he's going to sacrifice his son. For three days, his son was dead to him, in a sense, because he was obeying God, what God told him to do. What a beautiful picture in Genesis 22, and then receiving him back alive on the third day. Beautiful picture. Or how about, and we're going to be getting into Leviticus here shortly in our studies pretty soon, the picture in the ceremonial cleansing of someone healed of leprosy. That's in chapter 14. If you want to read ahead and kind of wonder, I wonder what he's talking about. There's a beautiful picture of the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection in chapter 14 of Leviticus. There's so many images, allusions to prophecies concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that jump out of the pages of scriptures. And I can imagine Paul, he's just, it's just like the lights turned on, the scales are pulled off, and he's seeing all this stuff that point to Jesus Christ. You know, there's over 300 prophecies about Jesus that he fulfilled in the Old Testament. Amazing thing. The third point, this is the last point, is the reality of the resurrection is a historical fact. In fact, it's a fact so well established, it's easier to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ than many more sort of contemporary historical events that you and I just take for granted because we read it and maybe we weren't, learned about it in history or something. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's easier to believe in that than other things. And we'll, we'll, we'll explain that here in a few minutes. You know, all other religions, 
They rest on a foundation of philosophy or metaphysics or whatever. But Christianity is the only religion, if you can call it that. Christianity rests on the foundation of the empty grave in Jerusalem. And it's a historical fact. Verse uh, 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that he was seen by Cephas. That's another name for Peter, by the way. Then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. You know what's fascinating about that? No one was looking for the risen Christ after he died on the cross. They weren't looking for him. In fact, they were hiding. They were grieving. They were, they were, they were mourning about the loss of their teacher. They were learning, mourning the loss of their rabbi. They were not looking for Christ to be risen. They had no expectations. And yet these ones that are recorded here, they encountered the resurrected Christ. It says he was seen by Cephas. I mentioned that that's Peter. You know the story about Peter. Interesting, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The angels there in that gospel account appear to the women, uh, they, and they speak to the women at the tomb, the empty tomb. And they say, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. It's kind of interesting. He singles out Peter. I wonder why. In Luke chapter 24, verse 34, that's the story, the account of the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus appears on the road with them and starts talking to them. And he starts explaining to them uh, about how all the scriptures were pointing to Jesus Christ. At the end, those disciples, they recognize Jesus and he disappears from their midst. And he run, they run back to Jerusalem to talk to the disciples. And they say, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. I wonder why Simon is singled out in there. Think about the last time that Peter saw Jesus. And the circumstances behind it. Remember, Jesus said, Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. And when you return, strengthen your disciples. What was he talking about? Peter made this grandiose statement, and, and Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And that literally happened. We know the story. Peter went to the courtyard where, where Jesus was by the temple. He, had been, he was being, had been arrested, and he was being questioned by the high priest. And Peter went in there and warmed his hands at a burning fire because it was cold that night. And the people start recognizing him. Hey, you're one of those guys, too. I don't know the man. You guys know that story. The last time Peter saw Jesus alive, he had denied Jesus three times, cursing. I don't even know the man, blah, 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 you know. And the Bible says the cock crowed. And then Jesus, he could see Peter, and Jesus looked up at Peter. That was the last image that Peter had of Jesus. Can you imagine the shame? It says that Peter wept bitterly. He ran out and wept bitterly. And so Jesus, in his love, says, go tell his disciples and Peter. That, he didn't say that dirty rot fink. Skip him, man. He gave up on me. No, go to Peter. 
Maybe you're here today and you're full of shame. Maybe you've denied Christ. You know, somebody say, are you a Christian? No, I'm not one of those weirdos. You know, or whatever, you know. Or, or you're just full of shame and guilt and stuff. Man, Jesus wants to appear to you. Yeah, I mean, he wants to, he wants to reveal himself in a, in a fresh way to you. And so I encourage you, if you need a special revelation of Jesus Christ, you know, you say, Lord, I, I, just, I just need to, I need to see you. I need to, I need to see your glory. You know, the Lord will honor that. He'll reveal himself to you in an amazing way. I guarantee he will. And so he was seen by Cephas. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Now, maybe a dozen delusional disciples thought that they saw the risen Christ. Hey, we saw Jesus arrive. You know, 500 people. It doesn't even mention, it says brethren. It doesn't mention if it might have been women and children too. But at least 500 saw Jesus Christ at one time. That wasn't, a, that wasn't like some kind of a, a vision or anything. And the amazing thing about that is not a single one of those eyewitnesses ever rec recanted that they witnessed Jesus Christ resurrected in the flesh. They never recanted, even under torture and death. In fact, most, if not all of them, died. Uh, I mean, were persecuted, I should say, or martyred for their faith. And Paul says, of those 500, the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So some of them had passed away by then. But Paul says the, the greater part of those 500 people, they're still alive. You can go and ask them if Jesus rose from the dead or not. Don't take my word. Go ask these guys. What an amazing testimony. And then after that, he was seen by James. Now, there's different James, uh, individuals by the name of James, but this is the half-brother of Jesus. James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, they thought that Jesus was a little uh, wacko, you know. They're like, hey, man, this guy's lost his senses. we got to bring him back to, to Nazareth with us. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. At one point, he even mocked Jesus, him and his brothers. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed all of that. James was transformed. He ended up becoming a leader of the church of Jerusalem. And there's some extra biblical historical records about James. It says James was surnamed the just. He was a Nazarite from his mother's womb, abstaining from strong drink and animal food and wearing linen. He was always kneeling in intercession for the people so that his knees were callous like a camel's. In fact, one of the nicknames I read somewhere else is they called him camel knees. He was cruelly martyred by the scribes and Pharisees. They cast him down from the pinnacle of the temple. Um, and as the fall did not kill him, they stoned him. And he was finally dispatched with the fuller's club. That was, the, that was James. Wouldn't deny that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So he was seen by Cephas. He was seen by those 500. Many of them were alive. Paul says you can go ask them. He was seen by the brother of Jesus, James, and then by all the apostles. Now, he's probably referring to the 12 apostles, but also we know in the New Testament that Andronicus and Junia and Barnabas, they were all apostles also, referred to as apostles. Could be the 70 that he sent out. It could also refer to the multiple, because Jesus just didn't appear to his disciples once. He appeared to them many times. Interesting thing. 
you might say, wait a minute, what about the women? Jesus appeared to, you know, the, the, the women that came to the tomb, the garden tomb at first. In fact, they were the first ones to see Jesus. Why didn't Paul mention that? Culturally, in that day, in that age, the testimony of a woman wasn't accepted in a court of law. They didn't believe women. And so uh, I, I think that's why Paul doesn't mention it. We know this gospel accounts that he appeared to them as well. Verse 8, Paul says this, Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. <clears throat> we know the story. In fact, I talked about it earlier. Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus Christ appears to him and blinds him, literally. <coughs> and he's transformed. He says, as by one born out of due time. That word is an interesting word. It means abortive or refers to an untimely birth. And you think about Paul. You know, Paul didn't spend three years with Jesus like the original 12 did. And so maybe in that sense, he's like, I wasn't gestated with, uh, for three years with the other apostles in the presence of the Lord. He didn't have the luxury, the familiarity and the experiences the other apostles had. You know, he didn't have that where, where Jesus was teaching him and, and, and kind of, you know, Paul, are you so slow of heart and faith? You know, the other disciples heard that, but Paul didn't hear that. So he didn't have that, that luxury He's as born out of due time. He says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I, pre uh, because I persecuted the church of God. And you can go through the book of Acts. You know, in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was stoned, the first martyr of the Bible. It says, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the, young, at the feet of a young man named Saul, the same person. In chapters 8, verse 3 of Acts, it says, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Acts 9, verses 1 and 2, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found anyone who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul describes it here himself in Acts 26, verse 10. Many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul, wanting to murder the disciples, the followers of the way. And this man was transformed by seeing the risen Christ. Completely transformed. Peter, Peter who denied Christ. Man, the last thing he saw, he denied Christ and there's Jesus looking at him. And yet Jesus, in his love, singled out Peter. Hey, tell Peter I'm risen. James, his brother, his half-brother, who disbelieved him and even mocked him, man, his life was trans transformed when he witnessed the resurrected Christ. You know the story of doubting Thomas. We call him doubting Thomas. Why? Because he doubted that Jesus Christ rose in the flesh bodily. 
So unless I, unless I actually touch those marks, unless I put my hand in my side, I'm not going to believe you guys. And then Jesus appeared to him and said, hey, Thomas, come here. Check it out. All those, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his appearing to them, they were transformed for life. And not a single one of them recanted and said, yeah, I just made it up or anything. They died with that testimony that Jesus rose bodily from the cross. Or from the grave, I should say. So Paul says this, For I am the least of the apostles, not, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God. First Timothy 1, verse 15 and 16. Paul says this, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. What's the worst thing you could do just in your mind? What's the worst thing you could do? Jesus Christ paid the price for that sin and loves you and rose again from the dead. Paul felt the least deserving to be a follower of Christ, let alone an apostle of Jesus Christ because of his past. But he recognized he was who he was and where he was. It's all by God's grace. You know, I look at my life, and one, one of the, uh, Pastor Jim Stewart, sounds like he has a very similar testimony to me. I was, I was listening to him sharing his testimony the other day, and uh, He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. And uh, uh, one of the things he said is, you know, if it wasn't for the cross, he would have destroyed his own life. You know, and he's got children. He's got grandchildren that love the Lord. And he's so blessed. And he's like, man, if it wasn't for the cross, where would I be? And, and I look at myself, man. Without the grace of God, I, I wouldn't be here standing in front of any of you if it wasn't for God's grace, because I, I know who I was. I am who I am, and God took my life, and he used it for his purpose. Even, even the, the dumb things that I did, God used it for his purposes. Romans eight twenty eight right? God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But he says this, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. He's speaking to the other disciples. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. You know, again, the good news of, of our salvation is we're, it's grace. It's the gospel of grace, right? We didn't earn our salvation. We didn't earn God's favor. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And a lot of Christians, and hopefully all of us here recognize that, and many Christians do, you know, hey, I, I, I'm saved by God's favor. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. But then they stop there and say, therefore, I'm not going to do anything for God because it, does, it doesn't matter anyways. Paul says, man, I labored. His grace tomorrow was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly. Now, Paul's not talking about earning his salvation. It's not like I've got to earn God's love. But Paul understood that faith without works is dead. That transformation, it was real in his life, and, and it, it, it showed by the fruit in his life. 
Paul said this in Philippians 2, verse 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I mean, I got to work for my salvation? No, you're not working for your salvation but you're working as a result of it. You're doing things. And, and, and then it's not even you. It says God works in you, both to will, in other words, to want to do those things, and to do. He equips us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to not only want to do those things that are pleasing to him, to, to produce spiritual fruit, but, but he even gives us the ability to do it. And so Paul says this in closing, verse Corinthians 15, verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Paul's like, you know, it doesn't matter who shares the gospel. It doesn't matter which of these disciples, Apollos, me, you know, uh, Peter, any one of them, it's the same message. And that is, there's only one gospel. It's the same message that you and I can share to those around us. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a reality. And it's good news. I hope you're blessed this morning just, just thinking about your salvation, the, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for you, what the gospel is. It's really good news. And the Bible backs it up. It's illustrated and pointed to through various types, pictures, and allusions in the Old Testament. I love teaching through the Old Testament because I love pointing out, hey, there's a picture of Jesus. Do you see him? I love doing that. It, it just, it's one of, my, one of my things that really floats my boat. <laughs> I get to do that. And it's a historical fact. We don't rest our hope on a, on a man, I hope Jesus really rose from the dead because, you know, I don't know. No, it's a, it's a living faith that you and I have. It's an established fact. So I hope you're encouraged in that. And I want to close with this. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Yeah, okay, man, he did. That's right. Okay, I hope you knew that. I hope you got that out of here this morning. Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Yes, okay. Um, you passed the test. So. But think about that. Is Jesus risen? Is he alive today? Well, where is he right now? Romans 8, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also riven, risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's in heaven praying for you. And those things that you come across, the temptations that you struggle with, he's praying for you. Praying for you. Not only that. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He wants fellowship with you and I. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If Jesus is alive... If you believe in the reality of the resurrection, he wants that relationship with you. He wants you to be in communion with him. He wants you to take all your needs to him and pray to him. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to teach you and guide you and be your Lord and Savior. So the last thing I'm going to just rhetorically ask us, are we living in the reality of the resurrection this morning? I hope you are. I hope I am. Let's go, Lord, in prayer.